What's happening to you these days? Having lots of fun? Believe me, I know some folks that are in for some fun. Hey, bud. <laughs> Let's party. Introducing Chicken McNuggets. I want my MTV. You'll get nothing like it. It's casual. JR, you are the daddy. Bueller. Bueller. You must unlearn what you have learned. Now, boys, don't get into any trouble while Mommy and Daddy are gone. And don't make a mess. Welcome to Living in the 80s. Live, well, not actually live, but recorded from Members Only Studios. I am very excited this week to have my special guest coming back for a second time, Kevin Ackley. And uh, we are going to be talking one-hit wonders this week. Kevin, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Rob? I'm doing okay. Good. So, I'm just going to get this out of the way right now. Yes, sir. <laughs> you went on vacation last week. I did. And uh, for one, Kevin is both a great friend and a cruel friend. <laughs> because he FaceTimes me... <clears throat> From Minnesota, tell them where you are. Tell them where you were, Kevin. So, there are three Zantigos left in the United States, and they're all in Minnesota. And we were at one of those three uh, Zantigos when I FaceTimed you. Yeah, uh, eating Zantigos for the first time since uh, what late '80s, I guess. Yeah. So, and uh, introduced it to uh, my wife and daughter, who had missed out on that in the in the in the '80s. And I would like to say. I would have loved to have had you there with us, by the way. You know, I felt like I was there except for tasting (laughs) the deliciousness. So, was it as good as you remembered? It was, and I I even told Diana, I said, it's probably not going to be as good as I remember. My my taste buds are probably, you know, they're probably more sophisticated, but I guess they're not. (laughs) I have very sophisticated taste buds. That's right. So now, instead of Plotchman's or Hellman's, you're eating Grey Poupon. That's exactly right. Got it. But Zantigo... um, it's better than Zantigo, or I'm sorry, Zantigo is better than Taco Bell. Um, of course. And Diana even admitted that. she's And she's know, a big Taco Bell fan. Yeah, she is. From way back. And, and she she said, yeah, this is way better. So so we need to plan a trip to Minnesota sometime. I'm going. We may even do a recorded feature oh. from Zantigo. Maybe audio and video. Because we can put it up, up on the 80s page of us at Zantigo. Yeah. Like a couple of... Happy little schoolgirls. Yeah, something. exactly. It was kind of funny. I, I pulled into the lot and I told Diana, I said, "You got to get a picture of me in front of the the sign." And I walked over there and I started getting almost a little bit misty eyed, like <laughs> I was back here. And and I don't cry often. Like the last time I probably cried was when I watched E. T. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was pretty exciting. I was that was it was neat to be back there. So I was I'm, I'm I was glad I was able to share it with you. But I wish I could have you know. Yes, also yes. had dinner with you there. Yeah. So not only was it bad enough that I had to sit and watch <laughs> Kevin eating these Cholitos and then looking into the camera and then eating the Cholito and like, yeah, this is every bit as good as I remember it. And then once my misty-eyedness had gone away, I get this picture from Diana, his wife, of him standing in front of the Zantigo sign. So, you know, it was fun. So speaking of fun and misty-eyedness, yes. you addressed a, a little issue a second ago. 
So me and Matt had brought up last week, if my memory had served me correctly, <laughs> you crying during E.T. I mean, it's not a full-out bawling my eyes out. Not a goalie washer. No, but I definitely had tears in my eyes. And I, and I remember, this is what's funny about it. Charlie Watkins told me before we went in to see the movie, he said, hey, E.T.'s going to die in this movie. Hey, spoiler alert, some of these people may not have seen it. In case they haven't gone around, well, they won't know yet. It, it could go either way. Um, and so I thought, okay, you know, he's he's doing all these things, and I just keep thinking, no problem, he's going to die, so I'm not going to, you know, get attached to him emotionally. Um, but yeah, then it came the, the, the scene towards the end of the movie, and, and I was like, oh man, I, I might cry. And I remember there was a girl that I was interested in at the time sitting right next to me, and I thought, I cannot cry in front of her. So I was, I was trying to be tough. Uh, didn't do so well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me see, 82, you were probably 14, getting ready to turn 15? Um, 82, I was 12. 12. Yeah, I would have been... I don't think you were 12. You weren't born in no, 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 no. You're right, you're right. I turned... Yeah, I, I would have been uh, 15, yeah. Yeah. I so, was 15. So I I remember I was, of course, there, and I we had had my 16th birthday party shortly before leaving there. And uh, I didn't cry. Not a bit. And then again, I was sitting next to David and Art, which... There is no way on earth I would have ever, ever lived it down if I'd cried in front of those two clowns. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think you would have ever lived that down. No. <laughs> but it, it's funny that I even remembered that. So, good job, Kevin. Thanks for, thanks for, thanks for being transparent for our audience. <laughs> so, before we get to the topic at hand, um, let's talk about... Uh, Living in the 80s and how this is all going. Um, of course, I appreciate the uh, every one of you guys uh, come going to the Facebook page. It seems like there's more and more good stuff. And, and what's yeah. cool for me, are there are things because, you know, somebody called me the caretaker of the 80s, which I thought was kind of funny, but endearing and sort of cool. And I'm seeing things on there that are jogging my memory, like things that I had forgotten, like some songs that are posting, and uh, some some movies or TV show clips and things like that. So, guys, keep those things coming. We love it. As always, we want to thank uh, Flounder and the group at Roundtown Radio and Star 107.9, who uh, broadcast this podcast every Saturday morning. So, thank you for supporting our little fun venture trek in time here and so thank you thank you thank you now let's talk about one hit wonders of the decade of the 1980s sounds good Uh, this is probably one of the podcasts i've been looking forward to the most whether i was going to be on it or not i was anxious to hear it because there's so many good uh one hit wonders from the 80s i mean obviously you had you know Michael Jackson and Madonna and the Police um, that had mega hits throughout the the 80s, but some of these one hit wonders have kind of stood the test of time, and uh, so it's kind of interesting to kind of break it down and go through a bunch of these uh, different bands and artists. So what we what we did, <clears throat> one thing we wanted to do, we originally had thought about, well, let's put this on the Living in the 80s Facebook page to, and put it to a vote. But every, it seems like every 
one-hit wonder list I see. I know VH1 did one a few years ago where they listed like the top one, you know, top whatever. Top 100. 100 one-hit wonders. And I'm sitting there watching that going, Flock of Seagulls had several songs. Like people remember Iran, but don't they remember Space Age Love Song or Wishing or some of these other songs, which you know, these are like top 20 songs. Uh, they called Devo a one-hit wonder. And Devo... It's got such a huge cult following. Uh, and people remember Whip It. Then they start saying, well, remember Working in a Coal Mine? Remember Freedom of Choice? Remember these other songs? And then people start going, oh, okay, I guess they aren't one-hit wonders. Are there any bands like that that stick out to you besides the ones I mentioned that people just associate with one song? Well, I mean, I think probably at, at first, you know, their first thought might be Men Without Hats. They had um, Safety Dance, which was a huge hit. Humongous. And, and that, like, I still hear that song today, like on the, the 80s stations or Sirius XM or any of those that yeah. play 80s music. Still gets a lot of airplay. Um, the the other song, Pop Goes the World, doesn't get as much airplay, but it was a number 20 hit. Um, so it was, I mean, that's definitely not a one-hit wonder if you had a, a number 20 hit out yeah. there. If it was you recording a song and it went to top 20, you'd think you had I'd a hit. I'd be thrilled, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, uh, Eddie Grant, you know, he had, um... Had Electric Avenue. Yeah, Electric Avenue, but he also had Romancing the Stone, which was for the movie Romancing the Stone, which they ended up not really using it for the movie, yeah. but he just Wasn't it kind it. of like in the background or yeah, something Yeah, they did point. use it a little bit, but it wasn't like... video. Yeah. Because it had Michael Douglas and, I think it was a Kathleen Turner sliding down a mudslide. Exactly right, yep. yeah. So, there was a few, um... Let me see. There's some... Uh, did you mention Madness? I did not mention Madness. Yeah. So, you know, they had um, Our House, which is a big hit. but And certainly it got a lot of uh, airplay on MTV. Uh, House of Fun and was it One Step Beyond? One Step Beyond was one of those iconic MTV songs from the early days. Uh, their promotional ads would always use parts of that song. So those songs are forever etched in our minds. So uh, again, some of the ones that that are called, you know, people refer to as one-hit wonders, you know, several songs. And during our compilation of making these songs, we we took all of that into consideration. But there's also like some of these MTV hits, like these may not have got as much radio airplay, but people knew them. Like, you know these songs. And a lot of them, and a couple from our list here, have kind of grown in popularity over time. And, I mean, this is, like, I'm not completely off the subject, but when you think about Don't Stop Believin' by Journey, that is the number one digital download song of all time. Wow. It only got to, like, number 11, maybe? I can't remember off the top of my head. But it didn't really get that high on the charts. But everybody knows once that song starts what song that is everybody can sing the whole thing top of their lungs so there there are songs I mean you, you can go on forever and ever but I just stopped talking so. <laughs> <laughs> you could go on forever and ever uh, yes, another big now. one th- this is definitely one uh, Take On Me by AHA a lot oh, of people yeah. would say you know that was a, a number one hit uh, awesome video it's probably one of the best videos from the 80s. I would say outside of Thriller, that might be the top. Maybe, yeah, it was some just, people may it even was just see so, it bigger than Thriller. Yeah, it was just so um, d- 
different from anything else, you yeah. know, with the the roto, whatever it's called, the roto roto scale, or well, I can't remember what they do, used to, to to create that. Right. But, um, um, but they also had a song called "The Sun Always Shines on TV," which made it to number twenty, and I hear that on the radio still quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. That if you guys listen, you know, to SiriusXM and stuff, the first wave channel is on there. They'll play a lot of these things that weren't maybe the the, the the top hits by these guys. They'll hear play that second and third song down that maybe didn't get quite as much airplay. It's you know, they're they're all new wave, but you know, there's some of the things that are into that new wave era area that may not necessarily you think of as new wave, but it kind of fits, you know, the format and it works. Yeah, well. sometimes those those second tier new wave songs may not have been a top forty hit, but you have heard it so much, you feel like this isn't a one-hit wonder anymore because I've heard another song of theirs hundreds yeah. of times, right. thousands of times. So what we did, we decided there are so many songs, like we had to break them down to two parts. So this podcast is going to be part one of two. So we decided, well, how are we going to how are we going to do this? So we decided we're going to go top 10 songs from 1980 to 1984 top 10 one hit wonders and we're going to do the same thing next week with 1985 through 1989 so to get the whole list you have to listen to both podcasts that's right that's how it works yeah it was just too difficult to take the entire decade and get it down to 10 songs yeah and then diana said suggested well, why not just take one song from each year but there's some years that there's just there's no way i could pick one song and throw out the other yeah and so I, so we didn't do that um, it was it was quite a, a process. It was a fun process. It was a blast. But narrowing it down was very difficult. And obviously, if you're going to narrow it down, you're going to leave off some songs that people are going to say, that should definitely be a top ten. Yes. But we have to try to rationalize our our reasoning for, for leaving something out. Um, yeah. Which some people would definitely say, that's got to be a top ten, but it's not going to be on our list. Yeah, so we started working on this about three or four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And what we did was... Uh, we were sending lists back and forth to each other and adding to this list. Got this Excel spreadsheet with over 100 songs on it. And we decided, okay, we've got to narrow these down to here, here, you know, to, to these lists. So we started throwing out songs that maybe had two two hits. Maybe um, songs that maybe weren't as big a hits as we remembered them being. Like, there are a couple songs on here. Like, one of them was one of my favorite songs of the 80s, it's Romeo's tune by Steve Forbert, and that actually made our top ten list. And as of last night, I'm like, Kevin, we can't put this list out here with this song just because we like it a lot. Because <laughs> it's a great song, and it was a, a huge hit. It was in the top 100 songs of 1980, but there are, it, I think it peaked at 17. Is it that peaked what it at was? 11. At 11, so yeah. it, I mean, it's, it's high. Now, I will tell you this. I don't remember Romeo's tune from the 1980s. Uh-huh. I remember Romeo's tune from the 1990s when you started making all the cassette tapes, right? The, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> the compilation. And that's when I started hearing I'm like, this is a really good song. I yes. don't remember it so much from 1980, um, but I've I've really grown to like that song over the years just because I've heard it more and more on, on like compilation right. seat, uh, cassettes that you've put together. Now, in, in all honesty, that particular song I don't think I heard when it was out it was several years later before mm. I even heard it and went it's a great song and then um, I think it was last year yeah, within the last couple of years Keith Urban covered it 
does a great job on it. I mean, it's got uh, it's it's you know Keith Urban's a country singer, but I, I'm not really sure he's a country singer. You know, he's in that genre, but he if you listen to his music, not all of it has the banjos and all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a very good song. So um, that that was one. Another one that made our top ten of '85 through '89 was a "Beat So Lonely" by Charlie Sexton. Again. Last minute, decide uh, we should maybe take this one off, just because we remember it, but most people don't. So there's cases for tons of songs that could have made this list, um, just because we say these are the top ten. Don't make them the actual top ten. This is just to us and to our memories. And I think most of these songs here, you guys that are listening, will probably be completely fine with this list. I think you guys will see this and go, oh, okay, yeah, these are good. Uh, I would tweak this one and that one and maybe add this one and take this one away. That's cool, man. Make your list. Share it with us on, on the uh, 80s Facebook page. Tell us what your top yeah, 10 songs Yeah, I would love to were. hear that. Yes. I'd love to see that, definitely. Uh, I was uh, on another uh, group, uh, another group, and um, somebody's trying to call me. Uh, I was on another Facebook group, and... They were um, talking about one-hit wonders, and a guy had—he was trying to to find a good source for this. So I sent him a link of of stuff of a of a website where you can look up any song and do whatever. And he loved it. And then he, uh, as we were chatting, I told him what we were doing with the podcast, and he's like, "Oh, can I see your list?" I sent it, and he and a couple hours later, he responded back. He's like, "What about?" Mary's Prayer by you know, Danny Wilson. I'm like, crap, we forgot that song. That's a good song. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, there's going to be some things we miss. <laughs> yeah, that that is a good song. It's just, there were there were so many. And I at some point I saw that in the list and and just didn't add it because the list was just getting so big. Yeah, and, um, and would that have made our top ten? Probably not. Probably not. But it should have made our, you know, our top 100. Honorable mention, right? Yeah, so. it, could, it could have been mentioned. So there's several of them on there. And we will probably at some point share this this list as a playlist on um, on Spotify and, and Apple Music. So uh, look forward to, to those coming through. So uh, have, we tu- have we done all the, the pre-work? We laid the ground pretty well? I think so. All right. So we are going to start off right now with uh, what we see as the 10 best one-hit wonder song of the 1980 through 1984 time period. Number 10. Number 10 is Pop Music by M. M, also known as Robin Scott. This was a project he put together. Just uh, He was a producer and studio musician. He put this band together, created this song. It was a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, made it to number one in the United States. Um, and it's interesting. It, it 
feels like it was ahead of its time, but it must not have been because it was number one. But it, it was very futuristic looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was even though it kind of came out like late '79, early '80. He had a video that went with it. Right. Um, so yeah, he's kind of was, was a little bit ahead of his time when it came to that. Uh, you know, you know, kind of hit what was going to happen in the near future. Um, like he sensed the future. He did. He and, only capitalized uh, on it once. A lot of synthesizers in the song, which was um, the first time that a, a song driven with some, so many synthesizers made it to the top of the charts. Yep. Um, and you also can pick up a little bit of a disco sound to it. So it was yes. late 70s, so it was still influenced a little bit by disco, even though the song was called pop music. So what would he, and I did a little bit of research on this song, some of these things, well, okay, first of all, let's go back to uh, it charted in 19 countries, and it went top five in 18 of those 19. The only one, it went to number 11 in France. Hmm. They're snobs. I guess like, so. How could that have not, Like, what better music in France were they possibly listening to? I guess Kraftwerk. <laughs> Probably. Oh, wait, that would be Germany. That's Germany. <laughs> so Kraftwerk could uh, have been listened to uh, in yeah, France, Yeah, who would they have been listening to in... Probably mostly American stuff. I don't know of any credible French artists. I can't think of anyone right now. For our French listeners out there, my apologies, and you can email me or or you can send a message on the Facebook about um, the the underappreciated French contributions to music. But uh, it actually went to number one in eight countries. It's amazing. That is huge because usually when you hear some of these bigger hits. And most of them on here are going to fall into these categories where maybe they were number one in the U.S. but nowhere else. Or maybe just a couple more countries. Uh, When he wrote the song uh, and put it together, what he was trying to do, the the whole message was uh, he tried to get a little bit of a flavor from the different eras. That's why you had the the, the girls singing in the background, sort of like a 50s Mm doo-wop, and you had the synthesizers. And he tried to you know travel through the previous you know fifteen twenty years of pop music at that time, and you know when it all comes down to it, it's just pop music. That's right. So it's there it was. Music. So it it was a huge hit. So that was number ten on our list. That we decided to put that song in here. Uh, this took Romeo's tune, took the place of that one. It was kind of hard to ignore this song because it was such a huge song, and I remember getting it, it was probably the spring of 1980, uh, right around the same time I was listening to Funky Town uh, by Lip Sync and uh, Love Stinks by Jay Giles Band. My uh, growing record collection, a lot of 45s, singles, kids, those are you know, littler records that only had one song on one side and one song on the other. So... <laughs> Uh, that this was in my growing record collection, and I, I like what you said about being so futuristic sounding because it, it, it truly was uh, at that time. Um, I think that really contributed it to being as big of a hit as it was because it was so much different than everything else. Yeah, and uh, it's also considered one of the first new wave hits. So yes. even though there's a little bit of disco in there, there was some doo wop in there. It's considered a, a, a new wave, so it, was, it had like a little bit of everything. Like you said, it was it was kind of covered all pop music. That yes. was which know. which still shocks me that it wasn't higher in France. Paris is mentioned in the song. That's right. New York, London, Paris, Munich. Everybody's talk about pop music. <laughs> they just don't know. So anyhow, <laughs> thank you, M, for your contribution to our list and the number ten song. 
number nine. The number nine song on our list is Der Commissar by After the Fire. So during um, our little break there, we were listening to this. Like, what you're hearing is not continuous <laughs> recordings. We'd take a two or three minute break and kind of look at, um, because this is the first time we've shared these or this, this stuff together. And uh, one of the things that we had found was that people had sampled this song in other songs. And there's one called Da 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 uh, by a band called, I was just up here, uh, Pink Project, I'm sorry. And you can definitely hear them sampling the song throughout. This is from um, 1981. So Falco originally did this song. Talk to us about it. Yeah, so um, Falco, which we will get to know uh, a few years later when he had um, uh, Rock Me Amadeus, he had this song, Der Kommissar. It was all in German, and he had success with it overseas, but he really didn't have any success in the United States. So he Is actually, it because he's German? Maybe. Couldn't speak a word of English? <laughs> so he actually encouraged um, an English-speaking band to cover this song, to help him make inroads into the United States, which I guess it worked because three years later he did have a, a monster hit with Rock Me Amadeus. Um, Do you think it made it to our list for next week? Because that was like 1986, right? Yeah, we'll have yes, to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. Maybe it made it. So, so you speak German fluently, correct? Yes. <laughs> so what does uh, Der Kommissar mean? It means the commissioner. Yeah, so basically it sounds like... What it what it sounds like, like a police officer. So so there's a li- there's a line in the song where they say Alice Klar, uh, der Commissar. Yes. That means is everything okay, officer? Basically, what's going on here throughout the song? This couple's trying to run from the law, and every time they step out in public, there's the commissioner there, and and it's always as if, as if he's after them. So they're just asking him, Hey, is everything okay, officer? And it made me wonder, do you ever think Art has someone to say to him, Alice Clard or Commissar, when he's out, uh, you know, patrolling the streets? I don't know. I think at some point we should go meet him up somewhere and ask him that. We should say He'll it to just him. roll we his say eyes at us. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't know, Art is a... Uh, uh, it's Kevin's brother-in-law, but he's one of my best friends growing up. He's a uh, police officer here in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, and you know he's he's got a good sense of humor. So he'll just think. We're, and he's a big we're uh, music fan, so yes, he, would, he, is. he would appreciate that, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. So uh, Falco, of course, covered it first or did it first, and several people have done it since. Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor did it. Um, really? Yeah. It's his band called Option 30, but honestly, Nine Inch Nails is Trent Reznor. Nobody else knows who else is in that band. I'm sure some people do. I know my friend Jim Fournier is a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. They're his favorite band, so he could probably tell me like the other guys 
that are now working at Speedway that were in Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> so he's probably point. heard this version of uh, Der Commissar. I bet, I'll bet he has. <laughs> so, all right, that was it. Anything else on, on this epic tune from our past? Nope, but I definitely think it deserves to be on the list. Yes, it does. So, number nine was Der Commissar by After the Fire. Number eight. Hey, girl. Move a little closer. The number eight song is Too Shy by Kaja Gugu. So Kaja Gugu was a name. Uh, the band used to have another name. I can't remember what it was called right now. But they had this because it kind of sounded like baby talk. Mm. So Kaja Gugu, this was their one hit, their one claim to fame. Uh, lead singer Lamal left. Shortly after that, I don't know, the band were fighting or something, maybe over how much moose each other was using. <laughs> I don't know what would make this pretty crappy band with one song <laughs> break up, but he came back later with a song called Never Ending Story, which is another one-hit wonder. Yeah, so he's actually had two one-hit wonders, one yes, with a band has. and one on his own. So it's kind of interesting that... that uh, his story is that the band kicked him out, and their story is that he left. Um, but in e- either case, Kajagugu did nothing after this, and he at least had some, you know... <laughs> he had a hit. A hit, yeah, for the yes. never-ending story. He's like, I don't need you guys. Now, before I ever saw the video, when I heard this song, I thought maybe it was a woman singing. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Um and then I saw the video, and I still wasn't sure because he had that. <laughs> he's such a poofy, he's, he's like tiny. such a sissy. I, I, little, it, yeah, he's very. He's a he's a little fella. Yeah, I just looked him. He's he's five six. Um, he's very he was very tiny, really soft spoken. I could be the next um, prince. That, yeah, maybe you that's think what he, he said that he might have been thinking that. <laughs> the other guys were like, yeah, right. <laughs> now you recall the the video. There's there's a girl in it who's the one that's too shy. Yeah, do you know who that lady is? No, but I remember she's really pretty. She she's Allie Epsley. That doesn't mean anything to you, probably. No. But she is married and has been married for years to Dennis Miller. No kidding. Yeah, I, I like Dennis Miller. Yeah, so a uh, former SNL alum and uh, Monday yeah. Night Football announcer. That's right. Yeah. He's, he's done it all. So and that uh, is his tie to uh, Kajagugu. Good yes, stuff. exactly. And uh, do, do you, you think know... he sings it to her around the house? I would. He probably has at some point over the years. <laughs> He probably gets a shoe thrown at him for um, it. And you'll find this interesting, too, since you're a big Duran Duran fan. Uh, Nick Rhodes uh, actually is the one that got this band, uh, got uh, Kaja Gugu signed to the EMI label, which helped them get their start. So there's a tie to Duran Duran with this as well. But, See, uh, you guys are getting top flight information here. You're not getting anywhere else. <laughs> so Unless yeah. you go to Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, unless you go to Wikipedia. Or Song you... Facts. Song facts, um, but or, yeah, it was it was interesting because you know a lot of times you'll hear that they're married and you look and they divorced like thirty years ago or whatever. Yes. No, they're they're they've been married for years. I think they got married back in the eighties and they're still together. So that's that's impressive. I was listening to Alan Hunter, who uh, former MTV VJ, 
he's now on Sirius XM on the 80s on 8, and he was talking about uh, Rico Kasich and Paulina Portrakova, who had a marriage that lasted well over 30 years up until his death. I mean, it was sort of publicized a little that they were kind of They're split kind of on up the at the end. Yeah. But he was talking about how Sting and, and Trudy, Trudy Schuyler, I believe is her last name, uh, how they have endured all these years. And you, let's listen to a couple other examples. And then my mind starts taking me back to other couples, like in Hollywood or in the music business. They don't last. And I don't know if it, it's part of the schedules, especially when you have two celebrity couples, um, two, you know, two people of, of somewhat you know of notoriety uh, you don't you don't really see that last a, you know a long time but you know good for Dennis Miller man. yeah I was, kinda, I was glad to see that they're still together after all these years yeah good for him good for them so anything else on Kajagoogoo nope not a lot one hit one and done <laughs> so yes that was our number eight song Too Shy by Kajagoogoo number seven Our number seven song is Break My Stride by Matthew Wilder. And this guy had one of the great mustaches of the 80s. He did. It was like John Oates level mustache game. Uh, this song made it to number five, uh, same as "Too Shy" by Kajagugu and uh, yeah, that's that's Dirt very... Commissar" by After the Fire. All three of those made it to number five in the U.S. I have a question about this. Does does this song have a little bit of a racist overtone uh, at the very beginning of the song? He he talks about uh, he had a dream. That he sailed away to China in a little rowboat to find you, and she said she had to get her laundry clean. So I'm yeah. not sure if he's saying she had to go to China to get her laundry clean, which or, seems or kind if they're of, like kind of like profiling Chinese people for being owning laundromats, right? Exactly. Which they used to be so, real famous for. Yeah, I mean, ancient Chinese secret. <laughs> Calgon, take me away. <laughs> Here's your ancient Chinese secret. Uh, but yeah, the, the song it's kind of weird. The the lyrics are pretty cheesy, mm-hmm. but it's still it's it's an upbeat song and it's definitely got an eighties feel to it. I mean it's oh, and definitely so an 80s song. catchy. If you hear the song, it is stuck in your mind. Like you've heard just heard this clip of it. I'm sure now you're still humming it and you're probably half these songs I want here, you're probably cursing us for putting these little earworms into your brain. So <laughs> sorry. Not sorry. Um, now this was interesting. Uh, it came out in eighty three, was still in the charts in eighty four. There was never a music video. Really? Kind of unusual to, to not have a music video. He wanted one, yeah. and he, he he came up with this concept, and he went to him, and he said it was going to be like this uh, this this cartoon-type... And they're like, you're not even going to have a video. So yeah, this I is think, not even going to be a hit, guy. Get yeah, out I, of here. Th- I think that's what happened. They really didn't think this was going to be a hit, yeah. and it became a hit, and it almost seemed like they resented the fact that it became a hit, so they wouldn't even. They wasn't really promoting. They weren't re- promoting him at all. Yeah, which um, is which is funny when you think about in 1983, 1984, not having a music video. Like MTV was driving radio play, was driving record sales, 
and if you're gonna have a hit and not have a video it is it is a very rare occasion because the things we're playing here uh, the songs we're talking about when we when we play the songs we talk about them if you're anything like me your mind is going right to the music video like oh yeah I remember this just like we talked about Kajagoogoo mm-hmm. Um, you remember, um, and then Turkomasaw, we didn't talk about the Falco video where he's running from the police. Yeah, that was so bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like yeah, the green screen behind him with a police car coming, and he's just running in place. With his sunglasses on. With his sunglasses on, his Which leather jacket. Which is maybe jacket. why Corey Hart was inspired to ride sunglasses oh, at night, because of the Falco video. It could have been from that, you never know. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, so, so uh, never there was never a video for this song, and, and you're right. There, the video drove so much. In fact, in a few minutes, we'll be talking about a video that was created before the song was written. So that's coming up on the on the countdown here soon. You guys are anxious, like, what are we talking about? <laughs> so here's something I wanted to bring up about Matthew Wilder. So his career was mainly singing background vocals, produced for other artists. A couple you may have heard of, uh, No Doubt, Kelly Clarkson, maybe Miley Cyrus ring a bell, or what about Christina Aguilera? This dude has produced all of these people. So the next time you hear Break My Stride as a one-hit wonder, the dude's a hit maker. Right. He he had one hit, but he helped a lot of other people have hits. And, and you know, producing the No Doubt album, uh, writing Reflection for Christian Aguilera, I mean, he, he had a good career. Yes, it's he just, did. He didn't have it on the charts, <laughs> right. except for this one song. Yes. And this one song was pure 80s magic. So... Thank you, Matthew Wilder, for your contribution to our list uh, at number seven, Break My Stride. Number six. Video Killed the Radio Star by The Buggles. So I'm going to go ahead and say this now. If you don't know that this is the first song ever played on MTV, then you know zilch about the 80s. Because every time this song's played on the radio, or uh, if you see the video anywhere, or if it's posted anywhere, somebody somewhere comment, this is the first video played on MTV. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I know of one person uh, that I guess she might have known, my wife, knew that this was the first video that was played on MTV. She thought this video came out kind of like for MTV, like yeah. right at the time of MTV, when in reality it came out in... Two years earlier. Yeah, like late 79, early yeah. 80. And, um, but it perfectly fit, right? And it did. And this song... Kind of as prophetic. It said video killed the radio star, and yes. there were radio stars whose careers kind of died because they didn't have the look that MTV was looking for. Or they didn't have the foresight to put out music videos. When you think about a band like Dire Straits, like look at these guys, you've got Mark Knopfler, even in his 20s, looked like a middle aged dude. He comes out with Money for Nothing, 
Like, you've got this cool graphics and stuff. You still get middle-aged Mark Knopfler, but now he's wearing a headband. So you can't see the receding hairline. <laughs> and the dude's playing. He's a mad guitar player. And you see bands like this that jumped on and went, Ah, oh, no. We can do something and not compromise our art any and put out some good music. But like you said, lots of bands didn't see that. Yeah, I the one that really sticks out to me, like at the beginning of the '80s, Christopher Cross was having a ton of great hits. You know, kind of like I can't see that look translating to video very and well either. Did it, right? He's he's a little bit overweight, had short curly hair, uh, a chin strap beard, yeah, and yeah. sweating through a shirt. He looks you know? like a guy that you would order your pizza from. Yeah, and if, if it, now, if you're a pizza person, you have one of the most important professions in the world so don't get me wrong we just ate pizza we just ate pizza from grandstand it was delicious so if you guys want a uh, like a new york style pizza grandstand pizza in, uh, in uh, grove city does just about as good as anybody in town so anyhow enough for that commercial i should mention that to him maybe the next one will be free <laughs> that, probably mention him on a worldwide podcast that's right probably not he'll probably say You've just desecrated the name <laughs> right. of my pizza place on your garbage podcast. Get out, don't come back. I'm the pizza Nazi. So anyhow, the Buggles. Uh, they Basically, it was two guys, Trevor Horn and Jeffrey Downs. Trevor Horn, the dude in the video with the glasses. That's Trevor Horn. Jeffrey Downs, he, w- he came from the band Yes. He was with Asia. So these guys were friends. And when they made Video Killed the Radio Star... This was just some session work they were doing on the side. Just, you know, hey, you know, we're good friends. Let's just you know, jam and put some songs together. And uh, punk was evolving into new wave. And so they were kind of playing around with different sounds and synthesizers and 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 things I don't totally understand about music. I You know, reading up on, on this, this particular song, there were, again, I'm not even going to try to explain it, but there are some things they did within the song, within the construct of developing the song that came through here that was kind of advanced like we hear we just hear a really cool catchy pop song it was the number one song ever played on mtv and yes that was a kind of a sarcastic hand wave i just did you guys can't see that <laughs> <laughs> but um it came from again from their session work uh, these guys had four chart songs in the uk only one in the u.s and it, it is one even though it only peaked at number 40 on the top 40 list, this song is as well remembered as any song we're going to mention, you know, within this this two week period. Yeah, and it's still really catchy. And you're right; it, it's it's kind of interesting. It didn't do as well had it came out after MTV, you know, or came out right around the time MTV came out. It would have probably been a much bigger hit because yeah. at the time people were like, "What does video killed the radio star mean? What does yeah. that mean in 1980?" Right. Right. Um, a few years later, everybody understands what that means. Yes. Um, and yeah, he he spoke in like a robotic voice a little bit. He mm-hmm. kind of had that robotic sound on purpose because he was trying to show how technology's taking over. Yeah. Again, way ahead of his time. Right. Because look now, I mean, he's like, hey, technology's taking over, and he said that in the eighties. Yeah. It's just continued to take over. I mean, we're completely rely 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 up on our phones at this point. Yeah, we we always have them close by, right? We have we have these laptops like. We're we're not like directly across the table. We're like offset a little bit. He's got his. I've got mine. We're looking through stuff and facts and talking about notes we've taken that we're going to be talking about today. And you, you just got to think, where would we be? And it, I was, it was funny. I was looking at a cell phone commercial yesterday from the early 1980s, 
and this cell phone was about the size of, of a shoe. And it, and it said it, at only 33 ounces, that's almost three pounds. <laughs> These phones weighed, <laughs> and, and you could talk on them, and you could text if you kind of knew how to do it, but it's very difficult. And, mm-hmm. and the person on the other end may or may not be... See, look, our phones are going off now. Yeah, there you go. May or may not be able to, um, uh, you know, read it. So uh, technology has has really enhanced our life. It has kind of made us a little more reliant on it a little bit. But, man, this song, this song is great. The first time I heard this song was pre-MTV. And we talked, me and Matt talked about this last week. Before MTV, Columbus, Ohio is a test market city we're known for it um the restaurants will introduce food here different things on their menu and see if they fly here because we're i guess we're a very average town so before mtv there was a a show on uh on our cable system called uh sight on sound and the people at warner cable which owned you know our cable system and also was involved in the infancy of mtv Little did we know, we were being tested for, you know, will a video music channel survive? And so this video show that came on for two or three hours, you know, a week, we were watching, and apparently people would watch the full two and three hours. Hmm. And there was an option on there, you could vote for your favorite videos. They would have them on there, and then after, you know, they would play them, and then you would get to vote on which one you liked the best, and at the end they would replay that video. Well, one of the songs on there that was on there several times was "Video Killed the Radio Star," and you know me, just kind of being subject to mostly top forty stuff at the time, just the pop songs of the day, heard this futuristic sound and saw this video on my TV. I was just mesmerized. Of course, you couldn't find the record anywhere, <laughs> right. uh, so I didn't even. You know, get a chance to buy this record back then, but I would have if I would have found it someplace. But yeah, it was uh, it was really good. Uh, the Buggles got their name uh, because of a uh, in a recording studio when things kind of get quirky in the sound system. They say it's got a bug in the system, and um, they they called themselves uh, the Insects at first. And and one of their friends said, "You guys be better. You guys are going to be bigger than the Beatles." And they said, "We're the Buggles." That's, <laughs> That's how funny. they got the name. So. <laughs> That's all I got on that song. You got anything else, Kevin, that I didn't mention? Nope, I think we covered it. I talked a lot just then. Yeah, that's good. That's what we're supposed to do. That's right. That's why people (laughs) listen to a podcast. They don't want dead air. They want our two cents worth. Uh, That was Video Killed the Radio Star. That was our number six song. So now we're into the top five. But first, let's take a brief timeout and pay the bills. Have you tried McDonald's newest one-of-a-kind? They're great. No bones. I love it. I dug it. Ooh, new Chicken McNuggets. McNuggets? McNuggets! A McNugget is a boneless chunk of tender, tasty chicken with four kinds of sauce to choose especially for dipping. Barbecue, hot mustard, sweet and sour. Honey, too. Because you deserve a break today. With chicken cooked McDonald's way. Chicken McNuggets. McNuggets! Only at McDonald's. Yeah! Number five. She blinded me with science. When she's dancing next to me. 
Number five, She Blinded Me with Science by Thomas Dolby. Everyone knows this song, and in 1983, everyone loved this song. If you say you didn't, you're a liar. (laughs) Because this thing was on the radio. I'm surprised it only got to number five. Yeah. So, Kevin, talk to us about Thomas Dolby and this wonderful song. Well, first of all, this was one of my favorite songs of the 80s. And and there's one particular time I remember, uh, you probably don't even remember this, we were going to uh, Kings Island. Mm -hmm. And you, of course, were in charge of music because... That's what I so, do. So you had your, your tape recorder or boom box, whatever it was you had at the time. And you With had... about 30 D-cell batteries right. left in the trip and, and sort of faded Down them back, back and it's, yeah. it's dead. Um, and you were playing a bunch of songs. And one of the songs you had on there was She Blinded Me With Science. And, and I asked you to play it. And then a little bit later I asked you to play it again. And on the way back, I, after asking you to play it like six or seven times, you're like, oh, I guess... This was my favorite song when we left Columbus. He goes, now it's like my eighth favorite song. <laughs> so, but I love this song, and I and I love the video. Now, I, I mentioned a little bit ago uh, uh, about a, a, a video that was kind of created or, or thought out before the song. Well, this is it. Um, Thomas Dolby had this idea of, of uh, a mad scientist kind of locked up in an, an asylum. He storyboarded out the entire uh, video... And then he wrote a song to match the video he wanted to create. So this was actually kind of a backwards process. The video uh, came first, and then the song, which I thought was kind of interesting. And so the chicken the fact came that, before the egg. Yes, or the exactly. egg came before the chicken. In this exactly. Case. And uh, if you recall in the in the video, there's an older guy that's always yelling science. Yes. So he which, was honestly without that old guy in the song. It's not nearly as good of a song. That makes it much You're just catchier. Waiting for that science, and he, and he does it in different, you know, voices and different and, tones, yes. different inflection. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so he was actually uh, really popular in England on a children's educational show, like a uh, kind of like our Bill Nye the Science Guy. His name's uh, Magnus Pike, and his trademark on this TV show was to yell out every once in a while, "Science!" And so <laughs> Thomas Bol- Dolby got him to be in the video. Because of that past he had. I so, had no I, idea. So I thought that was kind of I just thought just some crazy old guy they found and like, oh, let's get this old guy to do this. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he, he only had this, this one hit, but he's, you know, similar to Matthew Wilder. He's done he a is, lot. This guy has made a ton of money for himself and other people. Um. So you know the, the song Waiting for a Girl Like You by Foreigner, that opening keyboard? That's Thomas Dolby. And all of the keyboard work on the Pyromania album by Def Leppard? That's Thomas Dolby. He went under the name Booker T. Boffin because he wasn't allowed to use his actual name because of a contract with his record company. So that's just two examples of what he has done. He made a lot of money creating ringtones for cell phones. Like, a lot. So a he, lot of, he was like, really into technology, and he knew how to uh, capitalize on it. So he, he didn't have to have a bunch of... Because he was a big fan of, of science. Yeah, he didn't have to have a bunch of hits. No, um, he didn't. No, he didn't. He, uh, he played the synthesizer on uh, Urgent by Foreigner mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah, he, he, he was awesome. Um, the other thing that, you know, this song... I would have loved anyway. Uh, 
But the other thing that's really interesting about this is it was on the charts when my brother was born. And if you recall, right around the time he was born, we had, we had just went to a, uh, a youth retreat in, in uh, Pennsylvania. Do you recall that retreat? Yes, I do. And uh, you recall Randy was there? Um, Randy Barton? Yes. And when you walked out towards the woods, um, there was a big wooden post. And across mm-hmm. the top, as you walked into the woods, it said on this big wooden post, silence. You know, when you were going yeah. into the woods, you were supposed to be quiet. And every time we walked by that that sign, Randy would yell, silence! <laughs> like they yelled science. I in think the I si- remember that. <laughs> and it just cracks me up. And, and, yes. and we come back from that retreat. Um, I get in the car, go straight to the hospital. My brother just been born a couple hours earlier. So so that, that song was out. When I hear this, kind of takes me back to that moment with, with the retreat and my brother being born. And uh, it's just, just a good memory for me. So here's the thing. When Heath was born... And he would cry, would you go, silence! I should have. You should have. <laughs> Maybe it wouldn't have made him quieter. Jeez. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite songs of the 80s. And, and still, when it comes on the radio, I, I'll listen to it. That's It's not one that I turn off ever. No. Uh, it, I, these days, it's it's I, I'm mixed. Because sometimes, when I'm concentrating on the song, I will turn it up a little bit to listen to it. Sometimes I've heard these songs so many times, I either block them out or like, uh, not again. I yeah, just change the station. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of mixed on this song just because I've heard it so many times. thousands of times, probably. Yeah. And, you know, I would like to know how many times I've heard this song. <laughs> You'd probably maybe, be shocked maybe, how many times Maybe, maybe not it. thousands, but I bet you I've listened to it a couple hundred at least. Well, you heard it about 500 times on the trip down to Kings Island and back. Yeah. So. <laughs> yep, that's true. Yeah. So there's 500. Plus, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that uh, again, one of those, um, one of those '80s songs that you hear and you immediately associate with the '80s and no other decade. Mm-mm. Is this a '70s song? No, no way. '90s? No. Definitely has stuff an '80s then. sound. Yeah, got so, the keyboard in it. Yeah. So this is a, this is one of those, um, one of those iconic. Definitely '80s songs, and and there's there's a another song I wanted to mention at this time as well that didn't make our list only because, well, it's so annoying. Is Mickey <laughs> by Tony Basil? Um, that song drives me insane. It could be on this list because it was such a huge hit. It was her one and only hit, and and it went to number one. It did, but because we both agreed. That we hate that song so much because it's so, and like if you turn on you know eighties on eight or any of the stations in your area that plays eighties music, you will hear that song. And was it remember in Wayne's World when they're going down the street and Mickey comes on the radio and Wayne starts singing it? No, I don't remember. That. Yes, that is uh, just get him and him and. Uh, Cassandra are going down the street huh. and it comes on and talking about how songs get stuck in your head. So that's yeah. funny. So that's it. Yeah, I know. And some people I think there's no way you can leave Mickey off, but yeah, there is. But we did. <laughs> we did. A conscious and I, and I decision. Think, I think one of our first couple texts, you set the tone that Mickey was not going to be in the top ten. <laughs> yes, we will. We will not have our name associated with that again. When that when that song very very first came out and had the cheerleaders and MTV and all that other stuff, 
it was kind of catchy, but it's been played so much, mm-hmm. and you know, can't 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 just can't do it. So, anything else about Thomas Dolby you want to share? Nope, I don't think so. That's it. I think we got it. Number four. Number four, you guessed it, Tainted Love by Soft Cell. So I remember hearing this song uh, in the summer of 1982. uh, It was released in 81. In 82, this song was on the charts for a long, long time. Like for over a year, this song drifted in like around the top 100. And um, I, I definitely remember... Uh, this song being out and the original version that used to be played on the radio all the time was coupled with their cover of Where Did Our Love Go the Supreme song so they were always played together as a group but later on it, it seems like they're just playing Tainted Love like these days because it's a shorter song mm-hmm. they can jam more songs in an hour or whatever but the original version I, I prefer but this song this song has held up well for me yeah, so it made it to number eight in the U.S. It was the best-selling single in the U.K. for 81, um, and it was Monster. What I didn't realize um, is that this was a cover. So they had mm-hmm. the back part of the song was a cover of the Supremes, but the song Tainted Love was actually written, uh, or was actually recorded in 1964 by Gloria Jones, and yes. I was listening to that today. And it's it not bad, is it? It wasn't bad, but she even admits that the soft-sell version is better. Right. Um, it's it's a little bit it's been slowed down a little bit. He's got a good voice, um, and since that time, it's actually been covered by Marilyn Manson of all people, and it's probably been covered by other people as well. Yes. Um, but I I always think uh, their version was the best, and um, uh, definitely a memorable song, and, and definitely one you know I still listen to today. So, so it peaked at number eight, and the 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 where this, and I'm not sure if this is still a record, I'm, I'm sure it's not, but it was on the, I, I, I'm looking this up right now, it was on the Hot 100, Billboard's Hot 100 in the United States for 43 weeks, hmm. which was a record. Like, no song before that had spent that much time on the Top 100. So that that's kind of their claim to fame. Yeah, they only made it up to number eight, but they were on the charts for a long, long time. It got a lot of airplay for a long time. So. Yeah, and, and it's funny, you think, you know, with a song that huge, why couldn't they have followed that up? So, this is this is a kind of a strange band. Mark Allman is the main, you know, it's two guys, Mark Allman and the other guy. And <laughs> what had happened is these guys fell into, like, deep drug addiction. Oh, really? And in 1983, they broke up. So, like, they were gone it's like they're it's, this wasn't a case of you know them not being able to produce another hit song it's just they couldn't function as humans in society hmm. <laughs> so uh apparently they, they were recording uh an album in New York and they got mixed in with this crowd of you know these drug abusing people 
and they had this supplier, and like they snorted away about all their money. Hmm. Now Mark Allman continued to go on, and he was he was uh, pretty big in in the UK, like as far as a solo artist. Like Soft Cell themselves, like they had twelve top forty hits in the UK, and uh, four of them were top five. So it's not like these guys were slouches, bad musicians, just flashes flashes in the pan. Uh, their music, uh, like like many bands, didn't really stick here, but uh, they were kind of on the verge of becoming uh, bigger. Um, several bands listed them as um, uh, as major influences. Like the the one that I know of for sure is Depeche Mode. Mm. Uh, I mean, you listen to Depeche Mode, and you kind of hear kind yeah. of that influence. And uh, Kraftwerk, um, well, Soft Cell was more influenced by Kraftwerk than the other way around, but Kraftwerk, they were kind of contemporaries, so it's like these are guys are playing this really cool synth music. And I, if, if Soft Cell, in my opinion, had stuck around and maybe did some more cover tunes... You know, songs people are familiar with the melody already, but updating them. Uh, I think they could have had a career just doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, and they did have a good career, uh, just not here. And it's right. always interesting how uh, someone from the UK can have a monster hit and have several more in the UK, but they can't replicate that success again. It's always interesting yeah. how uh, they just can't seem to do it more than once, and I don't yeah. know why. Which is it's just weird because again, I don't. It's very hard to predict what people are going to gravitate towards. Like, for example, one of my favorite, and um, one of the guys on the the 80s Facebook page today posted, you know, who is your favorite underappreciated bands of the 80s? And one of mine is The Outfield. Now, the Outfield, they had you know, four or five um, top 40 hits. I think they had eight top 40 hits total. So if you're thinking... They're going to be on our list. No, they're not. Not even close. <laughs> they had several hits. We only hear Josie's on a vacation far away. Now they don't play a lot of their other stuff that were you know top twenty. I think they have, might have one other top ten hit. Yeah, but like, and I saw that post today on Facebook, and I go, oh, it's like I want to hear some outfield because I had the the cassette play deep. Oh yeah, and uh, which was awesome. So I bought I, sorry, it. I first heard. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, so, so I, <laughs> I went out and listened to "61 Seconds," yeah. um, which was a good song. I, uh, "Voices of Babylon." Yeah, and then I listened to uh, "Every Time You Cry," which was written about the time I cried when I watched ET. <laughs> yes, um, it was. Yeah. He, but he, yeah, they had some was, great stuff. He was down the aisle from me, just kind of with a notepad. <laughs> right. And he was kind of crying a little bit too because yeah. he was feeling sad for you. He was. So every time you cry, he cried just a little bit more. <laughs> But uh, yeah, bands like the Romantics are another one. Like, love those guys. But it back to the, the the topic here. Like, who knows how why some bands make it some places and and some don't. Yeah, and and sometimes it's interesting. They'll have success elsewhere. Yeah. and not have any success in their home country. That's that's interesting as well. Yes, that, uh, just just how the the musical taste can be different. Yeah, and it, it's just so. So strange to me, like like here is like one band that never that, that was huge here in the United States, just humongous was the Cars. Like they had tons of songs and hits here, but they only had two songs that cracked the top 
50 or top 40 uh, in the UK. I'm sorry, they had three. Only three songs. Really? Yes. They, they, Just What I Needed and Drive and um, My Best Friend's Girl. Hmm. So those three songs, like all their other work, I mean, they had a couple ones like 79, 80. Um, you Might Think, which was a huge hit, MTV Video of the Year, only topped out at number 88 there. Wow. So when you think of a band like the Cars, they had the rock and the synth, and they kind of had that new wave sound that I would have thought would have been huge, uh, was... Um, they, they just uh, never never quite made it. Uh, which brings up one other thing, uh, just as a plug, in a couple of weeks we're going to be doing an episode on Live Aid. And uh, one of the things I pointed out, I think it was last week or the week before, I've got a Live Aid fan book here from the concert, and you can tell it was written in the UK because they called the Cars a heavy metal band. <laughs> yes, like they're harder than Iron Maiden, Judas Priest. Yeah, they are a heavy metal. Wow, band. they think they're heavy metal. Huh? Yeah, so it just goes to show you you can't really predict what is going to stick and what isn't. But in this case, you know, Soft Cell stuck for one song here in the U.S. and it's one we're always going to remember. So. Tainted Love by Soft Cell was the number four song. Number three. Was going to be on the list. Number three, Cars by Gary Newman. This song was huge in in 1980. It only peaked at number nine, which surprises me. Yeah. Because I remember when I heard it, it was kind of like when Video Killed the Radio Star or M. Like these songs are out right about the same time. You're getting that new wave synth influence coming in. And Gary Newman sounded almost like a human robot. He did. That was his thing. He did. He, he he's and if you watch the video, he seems very uh, hasty. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> and and like very little emotion. He just seems very um, stoic. And this is a perfect example. We were just talking about um, a person that can have success in one country and not another. He he had a ton of success in the UK. Yes. Only one hit here in the US, and it was this one. Yes. Um, yeah, he had a, a, a form of autism. Um, that, which up to that point had not been diagnosed, but he had trouble uh, connecting with people. And I could see that. Yeah, yeah. If you look at him, you're like, yeah, he looks like, you know. <laughs> Most likely to be socially withdrawn, Gary right. Newman. Um, and so he writes this song about the safety of being in the car. Like when he's in the car, that's kind of like his, his, his safe place. Really? Um, yeah, I so did not realize that. Yeah, and I believe uh, he's also a pilot uh, i think he got his pilot I license think, i think i said like on a vh1 yeah special they, they or like where him. are they now or yeah, something he, he's, so, yeah um so whatever form of autism he's had he, he's able to to live with it um, yeah and um which is which is great and and you guys before you know we, we go further um autism is very real very you know something we should always be aware of so when i, I wasn't trying to make light of his situation earlier so, you know, if, if 
you know, the last thing we want to do is, is offend people on here, and I don't mean to to be offensive at all. I, I know um, people that have, you know, different levels of autism. So, you know, I you know, really, my heart goes out to those people, and, and you know, they're, they're awesome people and, and can do a lot of things that a lot of us can't, a lot of jobs, uh, people with um, Asperger's or with yeah, forms of autism what, what are has, actually yeah. better at doing than, you know, us that appear to be, <laughs> you know, whatever. But um, so, yeah, good for him. Uh, yeah, and, and part of his look was he was trying to have that, um, he was trying to have that robotic, synthesizer to, to look, you know not quite human like right right that was kind of his whole thing and when when he created this song um he was mad at the press at the time because he said electronic music was was cold and weak and he took offense to that and he said well i'm going to write a song i'll show you cold and weak. yeah and so he <laughs> puts tons of synthesizers in it. and like i think this he only speaks in the song for like the first minute and a half and the whole back end is just yeah just music playing over and over yeah incredibly catchy though yes and i tell you i again this is one of those other songs as my young record collection was building, this was a 45. I got it at uh, Musicland at Westland Mall. And I bought it at the same time I bought um, Let My Love Open the Door by Pete Townsend. Oh, wow. bought them both the same day. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> it's back when Westland Mall was still an outside mall. So uh, I don't even remember what that yeah, was an outside mall. They put a roof on it, probably 82, 83, I'm guessing. I don't know. So they were the original Easton. They were the... <laughs> See? <laughs> Everything comes Things back come around. And goes. <laughs> I'm still waiting for skinny ties to come back. Me too. In mullets. So, um, Gary Newman, uh, again, huge in England. Huge. Uh, worldwide, Germany, over in Europe. He, I mean, he, was a, he was a bonafide big star. And uh, several bands that came after him were heavily influenced by him, including Human League, Duran Duran, Adamant, Tears for Fears, and Depeche Mode. Wow. Now, Adamant was out... You know, he debuted about the same time that Gary Newman did, like very 1980, 81 that time. But he, he definitely, Gary Newman was able, you know, through his music, able, and I think he did some producing and some other things too. And apparent, well, apparently, he does still perform today. Hmm. So he still does stuff in, in England. You know, you find out Gary Newman's going to be there. It's awesome. And if it was here, he'd be, you know, the Hollywood Casino along, <laughs> along with... You know, Lamal and you know, three or four other guys, and a hundred people show up. So, like me Waiting and Kevin, to play me, that and Kevin one song. me and Kevin will be there. That's right. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, over here, he, you know, he couldn't he couldn't sell uh, uh, ice cube to an Eskimo, but in England, he's huge. So, uh, anything else on Gary Newman? No. Oh, got him wrapped up. So, yes, thank you, Gary Newman. You are a great pasty man. Number two. This is another song we knew was going to come up. Come on, Eileen by Dexy's Midnight Runners. This song went straight to number one. I remember this from the summer of 1983. I bought this 45 about the same time I bought Baby Jane by Rod Stewart and Sexy and 17 by the Stray Cats. How do I remember that? 
I have no idea, <laughs> but I do. So uh, this song, again, completely different. This is MTV, the synthesizers, the you know Michael Jackson starting to come on the scene, and so music's kind of changing, and you get this band of misfits in bibbed overalls singing traditional Irish sounding whatever music. Yeah, it's when you look back like how did this thing I mean it's it's obviously super catchy but it's so different um both the the look of the band and the sound of the band than from anything else but somehow it worked and and probably we could have made an argument for this being number 1 because this song was huge uh, yes it was number 1 in the US UK and Australia and probably a host of other places as well um but this song was massive and it wasn't because they were good looking no, they're uh, kind of ugly. Even, uh, it even, wasn't because they look slick. Yeah, even the girl in the video right. was not really that cute. Not, not that great, no. yeah. Um, yeah, and so, you know, I've, I've read that this is about a girl he knew growing up. I've read that it's a story he made up to give this a backstory. Who knows uh, if Eileen's a real person or not. Um, the poor old Johnny Ray was a real person. He was a real person. He was a uh, rock star back in the 60s. Yeah. Um, Late 50s, early 60s. Broke a billion hearts in mono. Yeah. A million, I can't remember. It was a million. million. Okay, a million. Teen Idol back then. So, yeah, the, this, uh, they, Dexy's Midnight Runners actually had 13 songs that charted in the UK, including two number ones. Come on, Eileen was number one, and a song called Gino. Look it up if you want to hear it. We're not playing it for no, you. No, we're not playing it. But uh, the band's name was derived from Dexedrine, which is a brand of dextrometaphene used as a recreational drug among northern soul fans to give them energy to dance all night. So That's what they were doing. Basically, it's speed. Yeah. Dexy is speed. <laughs> so speed midnight runner. So I guess you take your speed and then you dance Run till around until midnight. midnight? Yeah. So uh, this song, again, uh, this is another one, a lot like She Blinded Me With Science, that's easy to ignore. Just because, you know, the, the 80s channels, they'll, they'll play this song you know on a regular rotation but if you stop concentrate on the song maybe remember where you were the song holds up pretty well it i mean it is a good pop song and for what it is i mean it 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 sounds like it's almost a country song yeah i mean you didn't have a lot of hits in the 80s that included a banjo and a fiddle but but there's not, not by eighty three anyway. Uh, eighty eighty one, you're getting the whole urban cowboy thing going could on. Could have had it then. Yes. Um. But but it sounded great, and it was so different from everything else. And this song was so big, uh, it knocked Billie Jean out of the top spot. It took number one from Billie Jean's. That's saying a lot. So if you if you have a song, and you're knocking Michael Jackson out of the number one spot, you have done something. And yeah. this song did it. No follow-up hits, at least here in the U.S. But at, at, at this time, this this was this was it. This was awesome. So that was number two. Anything else about Dexy's Midnight Runners? Not a lot to say about him. Kevin Rowland was the lead singer. He was basically was, he did everything. He yeah. he got the band together. And I was I was looking at band members. They had about 40 different people in this band throughout, and that's not an exaggeration, about 40 different people through the life of this band that were band members yeah, at he, some point. He was difficult to work with, yes, what I what that, I heard. Yeah. Is, and uh, that's probably why they went through so many members. It could be. So you're out, you're out, you're out. 
can't can't work with them. So anyway, uh, that was the uh, number two song on our chart. That means there's only one more left. You know what it is. Number one. Kevin, do you think there was ever a phone number song as popular as this one? I don't think so. I think this one has to be the most popular uh, phone number-oriented song, not only from the 80s, but all time. All time, yes. So, <laughs> 8675309, Jenny, by Tommy Two-Tone. This song was a massive massive hit only got to number four which you think now these days as they you know again play through these songs again on some of these stations this thing's played a lot and uh back in the day back when this song was popular um people were trying to dial this number all the time and people that had this phone number had to have their number changed people would call and ask for jenny yeah, um, you can't imagine if you had that number when this became a hit, right? Your phone would have been ringing off the hook from you know every area code. Someone's trying to call it, and there was people that couldn't wait to get that number changed. The ironic part is there were people out there that were dying to get that number. Yeah, they I, wanted it because desperate girls, right? Like, <laughs> or yeah. maybe guys. They're yeah. like, I'll take a call from anybody. Hi, I'm Jenny. <laughs> uh, in fact, there was some bidding wars uh, on eBay. A few years ago, that number went up for for auction, and uh, you know, there's businesses trying to get it, thinking that's going to help their their business. Um, of course, what they're going to get is a bunch of calls that's going to clog up their lines, and real customers can't get through. That's true. Um, but it's kind of funny. Some people couldn't wait to get rid of that number, and there was people dying to get it. So yeah. very strange. You know, I wouldn't want that number. If if living in the '80s had a phone number, it would have to be eight six seven five three zero nine. I think it almost have to be. Um, Again, this is another one of those songs. Uh, MTV made this song popular. Like they started playing this song on MTV back in those days, and it just became a monster hit, which translated over to radio. Now, Tommy Two Tone did have one other song that went to number thirty-eight, uh, called "Angel Say No." It was a couple years before. You probably haven't heard it or don't remember it, and. A lot of the times on this list, we cut songs out about that time. But because this thing was so massive and no one remembers Angel Say No, then we thought this is, again, this is the one we we, we agree is, you know, if, if it's either this or Come On Eileen, one, two, two, one, like you can make a case for either one of them. Um, I remember in Last American Virgin, uh, which we talk about that movie on this show a lot. We've mentioned it several times, largely because of the great soundtrack. But uh, Tommy Two-Tone did a song called Teen Angel Eyes. And with that sound, that, that same sound, uh, Angel Say No, Teen Angel Eyes, uh, Jenny, like all three of those songs kind of have that same sound. Very catchy, very 
sounds very much a song of the times with his voice and so forth. And I, I'm surprised they they didn't get have more of a career than they did. Yeah, um, he, he fortunately had something to fall back on. I think he had a computer science degree. Um, so he, he found other work. He was fine. Of course, he's getting royalties from this, so he, he's definitely fine. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of crazy how they came out, had this monster hit, and then disappeared, you know, and... And you're right. We we bent the rules slightly, um, mainly because you you mentioned the, the song from uh, Last American Virgin never charted, right. and the other one, uh, even though it made it to, in the top forty, I've 38. never I've never <laughs> so heard this song in my life. You, it's you, not you really it for it. me. I'm like I've never heard this song. So, um, and this song was so iconic, and you, no one would call him a two hit wonder. I don't think. Um, no. So yeah, they they put a little backstory to it. Um, Tommy Two Tone said he did this. He, he was running around with this girl. I'm sorry, Tommy Heath, uh, the lead singer. Of Tommy Two Tone said that uh, there was a girl he knew that had this number, and, and he wrote her number on a bathroom wall one time as a joke. And he said they laughed about it for years. And then there was another guy in the band who said uh, uh, they saw this number written on the wall, and they they dared uh, a guy in the band to call it. Uh, Jim Keller, he called it. Uh, it was a girl, Jenny, and they started dating for a while, and <laughs> then he wrote a song about it, and he's never talked to her since, but th- she thinks he's a jerk. All that's... For giving a phone number out to everybody in the whole world, of <laughs> that course. Be, yeah, but that's all made up. They they just tried to make up a backstory to make this interesting. In reality, someone's sitting in their backyard. Uh, his name's Alex Call. He was writing this song. He came up with a phone number and the name, and he's kind of got stuck after that. He goes, hey, there's a girl's number... I can't figure out where to go from there. And he called up a friend of his, uh, Jim Keller, who happened to be in the band Tommy Two-Tone. Uh, he was a lead guitarist. And they, he, he kind of said, hey, I've got this name and number. What can I do with it? He goes, hey, let's say this is about a girl's phone number you found on the bathroom wall and, and you want to call her. And he, they sat down and wrote it out there in his backyard. So no really interesting back, uh, background story. but It's interesting to me. Yeah, well, but... A huge hit, and um, man, such an iconic '80s song. So, have you ever called the number? Of course. I don't think I've ever called oh, yeah. that number in my life. Well, did you ever get a hold of anybody? No, I I, I remember uh, calling the number, and it was like a number not in service. So that eight six seven exchange wasn't one that was available, you know, in the Columbus, Ohio, the Central Ohio area. Okay. So, you know, nothing happened. Just number of reach is not. In, in service in the area to go 614 so, so it's just about completely out of service at this point just because even after all these years people are still trying to call that number because people will still hear that song and uh, try to you know try to call it and it, he kind of quickly went into obscurity you know he, he uh, had this big hit and then he kind of got on with his life and he was actually uh Teaching, I can't remember what subject he was teaching. But he was teaching at a high school, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, 20, 20 years or so ago, they had one of those uh, VH1 specials where they played a bunch of old eighty songs. Yeah. And they play it, and these kids are like, "That's our teacher, you know, that's our teacher <laughs> is the lead singer of Tommy Tuta." And so he was living this obscure life, and and then everybody realized who he was uh, when that came out, which I thought was kind of interesting. They should make a movie like that. 
And then he gets like rediscovered and his career gets reinvigorated. That'd be awesome. So, second, uh, that's right. a second hit. So one thing that I found really cool a few years ago, like my my all time favorite show um, is Friday Night Lights, which is about high school football in Texas. It's based on a true story from from the movie and the book Friday Night Lights. But uh, there was an episode, and during that episode, they're in a hospital room, and they had, like, a dry erase board on there, you know, that has, like, give medicine at this time or whatever, and the camera just kind of kind of goes by it, and I'm like, what? what? I had to rewind and pause. It said, Nurse Jenny 8675309. That's awesome. On the dry erase board, I'm like, I would so do that if I was on the production team of... Of that show, so it, it's cool great. how it works its way into into pop culture. Like it that, does, right? it so. does. It has transcended just pop music. If you can be on a TV show thirty years later with that uh, with that on there, so all right. So that wraps up part one of uh, our favorite one hit wonders. So come back next week. We're gonna do this all over again, but we're gonna go. We're gonna pick up at nineteen eighty five through eighty nine. And talk about some other wonderful one-hit wonders. Until next time, this is Rob. And Kevin. We'll see you then.